I, uh, like probably many of my fellow human beings, uh, have wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. That is to say, uh, I was not always willing to wait for a timing beyond my own. And so sometimes in my life I have been known to attempt to force God's hand, uh, to make things happen that weren't perhaps ready to happen uh, in my life. And so I rushed into some various decisions at various points along the way. I, could, I was, I was uh, journaling about them this week, some of the decisions I have rushed into that I pushed through quickly. Um, I think sometimes over time, churches do the exact same thing. Um, they decide what they want, and then they ask God to bless what they want as opposed to ask what God wants for their lives. Um, and today's story is an interesting story. You know, we've been doing these stories, and the reason we do these stories, we, we have this book. And we have this book for a reason. It's not just because it has quaint old stories, although it does have quaint stories. Some of them, uh, I, I, I was reading in preparation for today, I was reading all of the stories that lead up to it. And there's all sorts of interesting dances about the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines stealing it and, they're, and it doing bad things to them and all this. It, it was an adventure in reading. Uh, almost makes, some of it is almost like a comedy. Uh, but the reason we read these stories is because in them we see reflections of ourselves and who God is and an invitation that even though times have changed and none of us march into battle with the Ark of the Covenant on our shoulder uh, and um, we certainly don't fight with Bronze Age weapons, uh, that even though that time was then, human nature seems to be human nature. Who we are we see glimpses of ourselves in the stories of these people. And these stories have been powerful for people, part of the reason we invest so much energy in them and believe that they speak a truth to us is because they have spoken to the community over a long period of time. In the books of, uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, have been speaking for as much as three to 4,000 years, those stories have been speaking to people. And uh, the stories that we call the New Testament for us uh, have been speaking for the last 1,800, 1,900 years to people. And so we invest some energy in them because they teach us a little bit about us. So if you're at all like me, that is, you want what you want when you want it, and you will make it happen even if it might not be the right thing because you want it more than anything else, um, then listen to this story. Um, just by way of background, up till now, you know, last week we read that delightful story about one of the judges, Gideon. Uh, I encouraged you, read the book of Judges if you'd like to read the Judges. Judges was just another name. They weren't judicial necessarily. They primarily were leaders. Samuel is the last judge of Israel. 
Uh, the beginning of the book of Samuel is Samuel's story, how Samuel became Samuel, and what his name means, which means God hears. Because his mother prayed for him, he was born, and she named him Samuel. God hears. Well, he's the last judge, and we hear about why he ends up being the last judge, and this is a transition that's happening in the life of Israel. It's a transition worth paying attention to. So we're looking at 1 Samuel, uh, beginning in chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his two sons as judges over Israel. The firstborn, Joel, and the second, Abijah, sat as judges in Beersheba. But they did not follow Samuel's ways. They demanded, they desired wealth, they took bribes, and they distorted justice. So the body of elders of Israel came to Samuel at Ramah and said, You are old, and your sons pervert your ways. Appoint a ruler to lead us, as all the nations have. Samuel was not happy when they asked for a ruler to judge them. He prayed to Adonai because that's what he did. However, Adonai responded, give the people whatever they ask for. They are not rejecting you. They reject me as their ruler. As they did from the day I brought them up from Egypt to this day, they desert me and worship other gods as they are doing to you. Listen to them carefully, but warn them solemnly and let them know the rights of the ruler who will rule them. Samuel reported to those asking for a ruler all that Adonai had said to him. This is the type of ruler who will rule over you, Samuel said. Your ruler will take your youths and make them serve as charioteers or with the cavalry, while others will be made to run in front of the chariots. Your ruler will appoint some of them as commanders of troops of a thousand and divisions of a hundred. Others will be forced to plow and harvest the royal fields. Still others will work making weapons of war and equipment for chariots. Your daughters will be taken as cooks, bakers, and makers of perfume. Your ruler will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to various governing officials and attendants. You will have to give 10% of your crops and your vineyards for the ruler to use these funds in support of the eunuchs and slaves. The ruler will take uh, the male and female workers, your best cattle and donkeys, and take them for personal use. Your ruler will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become slaves. On that day you will cry out against the ruler you chose, but Adonai will not hear your pleas on those days. The people refused to listen to Samuel's warning and said, No, we must have a ruler over us now. Then we will be like other nations who have rulers to lead us and to lead us in warfare and fight our battles. After Samuel listened to all that the people had to say, he relayed that to Adonai, who responded, Listen to them and give them a ruler. And Samuel reported back to the people, everyone is to return to their own towns. This is the reading for this morning. Thanks be to God. 
Well, what an intriguing little story. Uh, the Philistines keep winning all the battles. And in the early days of Israel, in the days of the judges, everybody could be called up. In fact, prior, you know, prior to our own conscription here in the United States, we didn't call for troops until we needed them. We didn't have a standing army, navy, or not much of one until after World War II. Well, they didn't have a standing army either. If somebody invaded, they called everybody, and everybody came from their fields with their plows and their rakes and their hoes and maybe they have a sword or whatever it is, they brought them along and they went into battle and fought. Everybody. It was a, you know, equal service for everyone. When the judge called, you went and the judge would lead you in to battle. Well now instead of, and you can already see something is beginning to change because the judges didn't appoint themselves, they were called by God. But we already see a flavor at the beginning of chapter 8 because Samuel appoints his two sons, Joel and Abijah, to be judges. He didn't wait for God to appoint them. He appointed them because they were his sons. You know, nepotism, it works, at least even in the, you know, the 3,000 years ago or so. So he appoints his two sons, only they weren't good guys. They wanted bribes. They wanted wealth for themselves. And so they took advantage of their positions uh, and made people pay to get God on their side, or at least for, for the sons to say that God was on their side. Now, uh, the rulers, uh, the the local kinds of tribal leaders said, oh, this is not working. Samuel has appointed these guys to rule over us, not a good idea. So instead, let's ask him for what everybody else has, a king. Let's ask him for a king. Samuel will do that for us. So they go and talk to Samuel. Samuel, we're tired of trusting God to be in charge. Now, they don't say that out loud, but that's essentially what they're saying. Because the whole book of Judges for all of its bloodshed and ugliness, and some of the judges are pretty bloodthirsty characters, for all of that, it was that Israel trusted that God was in charge. And when they needed a leader, they'd get one. And when they didn't need a leader, they could go about their own business. Simple as all of that. So they ask for a leader. We want a king like everybody else does. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, if uh, my, uh, I believe I heard this not only from my parents, but from other people, you know, if everybody, when you, just because everybody else does it, doesn't make it right for you. Uh, if everyone else jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge? And, you know, when I was a young man, chances are pretty good I might have, you know, they're all jumping off the bridge. Um, and I might have. But the truth is, the argument that I want it for me because everybody else has it is just not a really good argument. However, Samuel's feelings are hurt. He goes to God and says, they're rejecting me. And God responds pretty clearly to Samuel. He makes it clear. Listen, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. 
they don't really want to follow my way. They want to follow whatever way they want to follow. But let's warn them. I'd like you to warn them what it's like to get the ruler you think you want. To get what you think you want, this is what will happen. This is what will take place. If you get a ruler, he's going to get to, or she, but probably he in those days, there weren't any queens uh, who ruled over Israel, at least not directly. Uh, if you get a king, this is what's going to happen. They're going to conscript your children and put them in the, in, you know, in the army every time. And that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to take your land and give it to somebody else. They're going to take your vineyards and your best uh, servants, and they're going to take all of your stuff, and they're going to demand, even after they've taken some of your stuff, that you pay them every year one-tenth of everything you have. Are you sure you want that? Are you sure? This is the consequence. This is what's going to happen. Well, our good uh, friends in this story aren't willing to take a warning and instead say, we don't care about the warning. We want what we want. And we want it now. And so they got it. The next chapter is all about the choosing of the first king of Israel, Saul. He was, a, he was already the leader of a military band of, of raiders who protected his tribe by charging in and fighting. And the Israelites had already lost to the Philistines before, and Saul had shown promise in fighting the Philistines. So it seemed like a good idea. This Saul guy's got some experience. Let's make him king. And so they got the king that they wanted. Only uh, if we read on, and there's a lot to read, Saul didn't turn out the way they expected now, do you ever find yourself wanting what you want and you're so sure that it's what you want that you even begin to convince yourself that it's what God wants for you? You don't ask God, hey, God, what you want for me? Can you give me some sense of what's next for me? Or can you give me the patience to wait for what comes to me, what you have for me in the future? We don't ask that question. Oh, sometimes we do. And some of the most faithful people I know do that. But most of us do not. Most of us would like God to bless whatever it is we want to do. And so we just plan it, and then we say, hey, God, how about blessing this thing that we're going to do? How about being on our side? We never asked you what the consequences would be up front, but now that we've decided to do it, we'd like you to walk with us on this journey. And you know, God will probably walk with you. God's never going to abandon you. But oftentimes when you dig your own hole, you've got to be the one that's in that hole that you dug. And the, Israel, the Israelites wanted to be like everybody else, wanted to fit in like everybody else, wanted to go with the flow, so they were willing to sell out their relationship with God in order to have what everybody else had. Are you willing, am I willing, are we willing to sell out that connection to God to get whatever it is we want? Are we willing to set aside all of the values God has taught us? 
the love of neighbor, the concern for the least of these? Are we willing to set those aside so that we can get ahead, so that we can get what we want, what we deserve? You can almost hear the words coming out of the mouth of the Israelites. You know, everybody else gets a king. We deserve a king too. But oftentimes the things we are sure we deserve, we have to pay for. Do you know, the more stuff we accumulate, the more we are likely to put extra locks on our doors and buy security systems for our house because we know what happens when we accumulate stuff. Other people become jealous of our stuff because we have different stuff or more stuff than they do. And so they're going to try to take it. So we have to protect it. If we could only entrust ourselves to God's care and concern, if we all had equal access to everything, then maybe it wouldn't be that way. Now, I'm not suggesting any kind of change in our economic system, although I question it. In the end, there are consequences to accumulating stuff. You're going to attract the, the more cool stuff you have and the more opulent you are, the more likely someone is going to try to break in and take it, which means the more you're going to spend on protecting that which you've already accumulated. It's a rolling consequence. The more I believe it's okay not to love my neighbor, the more I'm going to receive back the lack of love and wonder why the world doesn't love me back. If I so hate and reap hate, I wonder why it's coming back. I look around myself in the world, and it's very easy to look around myself in the world and say, man, I'm just so glad I'm not like the rest of them. <laughs> I'm just so glad that I am fully and completely devoted to you, God, and I only do what you want me to do. <laughs> it's the delusion we all have. Whatever I'm doing is what God wants me to do. And everybody else better straighten up and follow along. That's what the Israelites wanted. To do what everybody else did. And for it to be okay for them. But to not have to pay the same consequence. We don't want to be on God's side, but we want God to be on our side. We don't want to do what God wants us to do, but we want God to do what we want God to do. We don't want any kind of reciprocal relationship where we entrust ourselves to God just as God has entrusted God's self to us. If you look at the history of this whole book, if you read between the lines, it's all about how God keeps trusting us. And we keep breaking the trust. And God, God doesn't seem to learn the lesson from that. God does not seem to learn a lesson because God naively trusts us again. And God naively trusts us again. God keeps loving you no matter what. God has faith in you no matter what, even when you don't have faith in yourself. God had faith in Israel even when Israel lost faith in God and demanded Someone else besides God ruled them. A king like everybody else. And they got what they asked for. Only it wasn't what they thought it was. God doesn't demand 
that you follow God's ways. God gives you love freely and asks you, asks you to love God back. It's like any relationship, and I've learned this the hard way in my life, and I'm sure many of you have too. Relationships are a two-way street. I can love you as much as I want to, but you don't have to love me back. And that doesn't make for much of a relationship. That doesn't stop me from keeping loving you. Although as a human being, I run out of love eventually. At least I feel like I do. God doesn't run out of that love. God keeps loving you. God keeps loving you with only one request that you learn to love God back. And when you love God back, you find out you love your neighbor too because God made that neighbor. I don't know what to do with the Russian invasion of Ukraine right now. I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Because I know that God loves the Ukrainians. But if I'm being really honest, I know that God loves the Russians too. In fact, in spite of the fact that I, I struggle with this Putin guy, I know that God loves Putin. But Putin has decided that he's going to do things his way. He's just a big relief of what we all do in our own personal lives. That is, do what we want to do for whatever reason and justify it with any words we can find. Look at any one of your politicians, my politicians. They do something, if we don't like it, they find a way to explain why it was the right thing, even if it doesn't even make sense. It's the challenge of allowing ourselves to be ruled by someone other than God. I would like to tell you my life is ruled every moment by God. I give myself to that relationship every morning in centering prayer and in quiet and solitude. And most afternoons, I do the same. And yet, when it comes down to it, my decisions sometimes flow from a place of deep selfishness. What's best for James? What's best for me? I'm not proud of it. I'm not encouraging you to live that way. I'm hoping you're going to be better than me. I'm hoping I'm going to be better than me. Because the God who loves me and has faith in me can lead me to a deeper place, to a place of trust, where instead of just trusting to my own will and my own ego and my own wants in this world, I can trust myself to love can become vulnerable and true to what God is calling out in me. That's why we tell this story. Because all of us want what we want. And sometimes we're so sure we want what we want that we actually put it on God who wants it. We, we, we want to believe God wants it for us. And there are consequences when we follow someone other than love, 
when we give something other than love. When we are something other than God's loving hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouthpiece in this world. There is a consequence. We are meant to love and not just do what we want to do when we want to do it. Friends, can we trust God? Can we love God as much as God loves and trusts us? And can we follow in the way he has for us, not in the way we have for us? And just a reminder of what your parents may have said to you once before, just because everybody else does it doesn't make it right. God invites us, love, have faith, be kind and joyful and obedient. But even if you aren't, I'm going to keep loving you. And I'm going to keep hoping and believing it's still possible for every one of you. Putin, the Russian army, the Ukrainian army, even James Henry, the pastor at the west end of, of Alexandria at St. James. I can believe. I'm going to keep hoping. That's what God is. And God loves you too. Can you give yourself to that love and live it? One of the things we do every week at St. James is pray. We have a moment of silent prayer. That's a moment when you kind of just open yourself up to the mystery. Trust yourself to God's care. Now you may lift up in your heart some specific requests during that time of silence as well. But I try to let my silence just be silence. To enter into that space. God's first language, the mystics tell us, is silence. Before there were a word, in the, gospel, in the, in the book of Genesis, before God speaks, it was chaos and nothing. And then God said, let there be light, and boom. When God spoke, something happened. But prior to that, it was all silence. It was silence. So we begin in a moment of silent prayer, and then we pray aloud. I pray aloud for us. We join together then in the Lord's Prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer will appear a version of it on the screen behind me, but you pray the version you know and the language you know. We have a prayer request. Um, and it is uh, Mary's 96-year-old mom is suffering and is ready to meet Jesus. Uh, pray for a peaceful transition to her heavenly home. I think we all hope for that in our lives, that we will make that peaceful transition. But we'll, we'll pray for Mary's 96-year-old mother who's ready to make that transition. I think we should pray for Ukraine. I think we should pray for Russia. That they'll recognize the error of their way and withdraw. It could happen. 
When we pray, what we do with our hearts together is we lift up our intention, our hope, our love to God, trusting that God will use that in whatever way God sees fit. It's a way of trusting ourselves to God. So we'll begin in silence. I'll pray out loud, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. Could we enter into a moment of silence together? God of us all, we are thankful now and always for your gracious love for us. You trust us more than we trust ourselves and certainly more than we trust you. You love us certainly more than we love ourselves and absolutely certainly more than we love you. And you believe that somehow through the power of your trust in us, your love for us, that we will be transformed. That love is your power to change us. You ask of us to give ourselves over to the love, to abandon ourselves freely into the love which is you. You are already in us. You are already beside us. You are already around us. You are closer to us than our very breath, than our very heartbeat. You are that close. We ground ourselves in your love. We trust ourselves in this moment to your love. And we pray that we will be worthy of your trust. That we will live in a fashion that responds to your goodness. We pray for Mary's 96-year-old mom who's ready to meet you. I suspect Mary's 96-year-old mom has already met you, right where she is right now, and she's ready to consummate that relationship and trust herself fully to you. And so we ask for a peaceful transition for her. We ask for love and trust and hope in our world that it would reign we see signs of it in our friendships and in our trusted close friends and significant others. Help us to learn to see it in the, in the daffodils that are springing up in spite of the frost and cold. Help us to see it like we see the budding of the trees that remind us that life is coming. Life is coming thankful. We're so thankful. Show us your way. Let us trust. Help us to risk putting one foot in front of another as we follow in the path Jesus taught us. Part of that path, he modeled a prayer for us. And we pray that prayer now together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever.